Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 15 verses 1 through 17 says this, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you love one another. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word and we read all these promises and these assurances from Christ, we are grateful today, Lord. We are grateful that he has promised to be with us. We are grateful that you have promised to send your spirit to never leave us, to not leave us as orphans, but to be with us. That Christ has promised to return to us, to return and to take us to himself, that where he is, we may be also, which is in the presence of the Father. And so, Lord, as we go through this very trying time and um, unsettling time, Lord, we, we go through this time where we, are, we have to be home. Lord, we long to be home with you. And so we pray as uh, John the Apostle at the end of Revelation. He says, come quickly, Lord. That's our plea and our prayer these days. We pray that you would come quickly. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word. Help us to understand. Help us to understand what it means to abide in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John the Apostle has a unique way of writing. Several weeks ago, as we began this section of our study of the gospel according to John, this section commonly called the Upper Room Discourse, I mentioned that I I like using a Bible with red letters, not because they're any more important than the black letters. They're all the words of God, after all. Uh, 
But I like using a red-letter Bible simply because I can, I can get a sense of Jesus speaking really with just a glance. So all of John chapter 15 are Jesus' words. John is quoting Jesus or attributing these things to Jesus. This is Jesus speaking. But still, John has a unique way of writing. There are certain words that John uses uniquely, that none of the other gospel writers use words in this way, in the way that John does. And the word abide is one such word. So just in these 17 verses, John 15, verses 1 through 17, we can see this word, I think, 11 times. Beginning in verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. He goes on to say, Abide in the vine. Abide in me. Abide in me. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He says, He it is that bears much fruit. Abide in me. Abide in me. My words abide in you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love, he says again. Abide in his love. Your fruit should abide. Sometimes this word is translated as remain or dwell or or even the word stay. But really it's the English word abide that gets to the heart of the meaning. Early in the gospel when John uses this word, he uses it really just to simply mean to stay with Jesus for a bit. So in John chapter 1 verses 38 and 39 we read this. Jesus turned and saw them following. This would be two who would become his, two of his disciples. He said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Again, these were two of Jesus' earliest disciples staying with him, abiding with him. It's the same word. But before long, this word takes on a deeper theological significance. He's going to use this to teach his disciples or his followers some hard-to-understand gospel truth. So in John chapter 6, verse 56, he says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. We know that in just in the next few verses, most of the people stop following him. Then we read in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, he said, So Jesus says to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we have to stop here. Before we go any further, I have to ask the question. According to the New Testament, what is it that makes a person a Christian? Or what is the root of Christianity? Well, of course, it is adhering to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And certainly the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is first and foremost a truth claim. It is a statement of fact. It is a statement of truth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 puts it like this. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here it is. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, connected to that truth claim that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, just as the Bible says, connected to that truth claim is the confession it's what Peter says in Matthew chapter 16. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or as Paul explains in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. But being a Christian is more than just simple belief, right? Jesus himself says in Mark 1.15 that it, that it must be combined with repentance. Because as James tells us, even the demons believe and tremble. Because while the gospel is first and foremost a truth claim to be believed, even Satan believes that Jesus was raised from the dead. It must be combined with repentance. So there are many different ways to explain what it means to be a Christian. Some of those are more theological, using words like justification and propitiation, good and important words for us to know. And others are, are almost metaphorical, like being born again. Well, well this word abide is one of those terms that John specifically uses to explain the, the concept and meaning of Christianity. Now, I want to be clear. I say John uses this simply because he's the one who wrote the book. Jesus is actually using that here. John is quoting him. But John picks up on this and uses it in, in his letters, and particularly in 1 John. He uses this word of uh, abide. But this word is a, is a term, abide is a, is a term that, that encompasses salvation. And so this is justification and sanctification that leads to glorification. This word is the Christian life. In fact, John will, will, will call it walking with him. So 1 John chapter 2 verses 4, 5, and 6, he says this, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments as a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, Jesus walked. So this morning as we look at these verses, we're going to look at two things. What abiding is and what abiding does. Very simple. Two things. What abiding is and what abiding does. So what abiding is. As John chapter 15 opens, Jesus is teaching his disciples really with a parable. We saw a few weeks ago um, as we finished up chapter 14 and first moved into chapter 15. In that transition between these two chapters, there seems to be some kind of change of scene. At the end of 14, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. But if you just read this through like a narrative, there's no real break. He's still speaking. 
Probably they're walking through the vineyards on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as Jesus continues to teach his disciples in this parable here, in this, this first section of John 15, in this parable there are, there are three parts. The first two parts kind of show God's provision for us. So the first part is Jesus himself is the true vine, he says. He secures our eternal life through his obedience. In the second part of the parable, God the Father is the vine dresser, tending to our growth by by pruning the fruitful branches. And clearly both of those things, you can see that there in the first five or six verses of this, both of these things are the work of God. He is active and we are passive. It happens to us. He does this to us. But in the third part of the parable, we can see the really the believer's responsibility. So in order to bear fruit as living branches, Christians are commanded to abide in Christ. Just read for yourselves verse 4. He says it three times in that one verse. So our old friend, J.C. Ryle, he explains it this way, kind of defines what it means to abide in Christ like this. He says, To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant, close communion with Him. To always be leaning on Him, resting on Him, pouring out our hearts to Him, and using Him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. To have His words abiding in us is to keep His sayings and precepts continually before our memories and minds and to make them the guide of our actions and the rule of our daily conduct and behavior. Abiding in Christ is more than just simple belief. Abiding in Christ is also abiding in His Word. It's meditating, dwelling on the Word of God. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My words abide in you. This really brings us back to Psalm 119. Really, all of Psalm 119. Uh, I think it was uh, earlier this year, late last year, we read this as sections for our call to worship. So listen, for example, to Psalm 119, just verses 9 to 16. This will be familiar to you. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is so important right now especially. We need to be reading and memorizing and meditating on, dwelling on. The word needs to be abiding in us. It needs to be living in us. Not the news. Not worry about your health or your job or even, those are good things, but it is God's word that needs to be dwelling, abiding in us. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Those words were written to the assembled church. And right now we're not assembled. Right now the the sanctuary here is almost empty. But God in his mercy has given us this technology. So instead of filling our minds with lies and half-truths from the world, we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly with thankfulness in our hearts to God. But abiding in him and abiding in his word or his words abiding in us also involves abiding in his love. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, to abide in Christ is to believe in him, to trust in him, to rely upon him, and it's also to rest in Christ's love for his own. John brings this all together when he writes again in his first letter in 1 John 4, verses 15, 16, and 17. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he, uh, as he is, so also we are in this world. To be a Christian is to know the love of God in Christ who died on the cross for our sins. To abide in Christ is to rely on that love. A month ago, we were all relying on something else. We were relying on our jobs, our normal American lives. We were relying on our freedom to go to the store, our freedom to go wherever we wanted. We were looking forward to spring. Now, now more than ever, all we have is Christ. So that in any of and all circumstance, we are, to, we are to draw near to Him. We are to look to Him in faith and understand that His grace is at work in our lives. Do you believe that His grace is at work even in the midst of a viral disease that's keeping everyone home and separated? Now more than ever... We need to remember that he has eternally demonstrated his love for us on the cross. And so we who, we who are, are his abide in his love. That's where we live. We live in his love. We, we, we dwell in his love. We are safe in his love, abiding in his love. But abiding in him does something as well. Let me show you now what abiding does. So if abiding involves not just belief, but believing plus love and and obedience, actually. We really didn't talk much about that, the obedience factor. But that's how we demonstrate love. Verse 10 says that. But abiding in him also brings some results. 
And sometimes when we think of the results of these things, we think in terms of eternity. But right here in these verses, we can see really three results that play out in this life, and of course, one that does in eternity. Let's start with the eternal result, and that is this. Abiding in Christ delivers us from judgment. Abiding in Christ delivers us from judgment. Now, I want to be as clear as I can. At first glance, this might seem to be merely eternal. And while this obviously has eternal consequences, it also has like temporal, earthly effects on us. Look at what Jesus says again in verse 6. He says, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is, yes, he's in the midst of telling a parable, but this is not simply a metaphor. Throughout the Bible, fire is used to depict the punishment that awaits those who are under God's judgment. We could think of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. Or what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13 when he says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be many who will be cast away into hell, which the scriptures consistently depict as a place of eternal conscious torment. Now, there's so much more that we could say there on verse 6 alone. The point is this. There are those who may even claim to be connected to the vine, but in reality they are dead, lifeless, fruitless branches. They may say, Lord, Lord, but because they did not abide in him, he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. This is why, for example, this is why we have to take the Lord's Supper so seriously. Because of this warning that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven um, to verse 30. He says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. And so eat the bread and drink the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, he eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died, Paul says to the Corinthians. The point is this, there are consequences in this life and the next. But abiding in him delivers us from that. That's the point of verse 6. That's the point of this passage. Abiding in Christ delivers us from the judgment. The second result that abiding in Christ um, that we can see here is that abiding in Him leads to power in prayer. Again, look at verse 7. He says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, he's made this promise once before already back in verse four, or chapter 14. And whenever the Lord repeats himself, we would do well to pay special attention. Now, this is what he had said before. It's it's verses 13 and 14 of chapter 14. He said, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We need to remember that that God's word does not promise us the the absence of trials, the absence of temptation or, or hardship. Regardless, really, regardless of what Facebook memes will tell us, we should expect a life of comfort and never-ending toilet paper, right? No. Our prayers are to be conformed to His will. We are to be changed and follow Him so that His will becomes our will. That's the point of this. When we abide, when we dwell, when we stay, when we live in Christ and in His Word, our prayers, our desires, those things that we pray for will be shaped by His desires for us. And what is His desire for us? What does Jesus pray for us? I would encourage you to read John chapter 17. Let me... Let me give you a really quick, really broad outline of John 17. This is Jesus' prayer for his people. In verses 1 to 5, he prays that God would be glorified. In verses 6 to 19, he prays that we would be kept until the day of salvation. In verses 20 to 23, he prays that his people would be united And as the chapter closes, it really closes in the same way that it began, that we would make known God's glory. Abiding in Christ means that we will desire and pray for the things that Christ prays for. Imagine, imagine praying for the same things that Jesus prayed for. Do you think God would answer those prayers? If we're praying for the same things that he prayed for? When we abide in Christ, there is great power in our prayers. That's what James is talking about in James chapter 5 when he says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is, as it is working. Because we are being conformed to the image of Christ. Abiding in Christ delivers us from judgment. Abiding in Christ leads to power in prayer. And abiding in Christ glorifies the Father. Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This same fruit that gives us assurance of our salvation, we saw that a couple of weeks ago, the same fruit that gives us the assurance of our salvation also glorifies the Father. It's it's easy, under normal circumstances at least, to praise God, right? It's easy to come in here and sing to him. But the way that God specifically desires to be glorified is through our transformed lives. This is what David understood when he said, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. He's talking about glorifying the Father through repentance and restoration, through a transformed life. We face this test right now as we can't gather to sing and and worship together. Will you be glorifying God in your home? Will you be bearing fruit in keeping with repentance and thereby proving your discipleship, as verse 8 tells us? Again, again with the J.C. Ryle. 
He said, men are content with a little Christianity, with a little fruit of the Spirit. Or do not labor to be holy in all your conduct as First Peter commands. Are we content with a little bit? This stay-at-home order is a test. So are you content with a little bit of fruit? Are you content with glorifying God a little bit? Abiding in Christ glorifies the Father, and as a result, and we'll finish with this, it fills us with joy. Abiding in Christ fills us with joy. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The world insists that repentance and faith produce the opposite of joy, that it takes all of the pleasure out of life. Jesus tells us the opposite. The way to truly hold joy is to abide in him. Again, King David knew this all too well. He fell into the same trap that the world, the flesh, and the devil are continually setting before us. And and after he was caught in his adultery, he prayed this. He said, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Joy. Joy through repentance and restoration, through abiding in him. And, And one last thought. We need to remember that this joy is not mere happiness. It's not mere happiness. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 pleads with us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the horrors of the cross. He walked through the suffering because his face was set on the joy of obedience, the joy of his glory. And so I want to leave you with this today. Abide in him because in him you are able to weather this storm. In Him, you can set your face on the joy of abiding with Him for all of eternity. And that's when our joy will be full. You know, one of the purposes of the gathered church is that it is, I may have said this before, but it is a hint, a glimpse of what heaven is like when the saints gather together and worship and praise God. My prayer for us this week is that this absence really would make our hearts grow fonder. Not just to be together again, but until we are able to enter into the joy of Jesus' presence, where we will be able to know that joy firsthand when we can see him and talk to him. That's when our joy will be full. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that we would keep our minds set on the things above that we would keep our minds set on the joy of abiding in Christ. 
that we would dwell, that we would live in your word, that we would meditate on it day and night, that we would pray as the psalmist does throughout Psalm 119, that we would hide your word in our heart, that we might not sin against you, that we would abide in your love, that we would abide in Christ, that we would abide in the joy that is set before us, that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. From the book of Numbers, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.